The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6. Father God, thank you for your word. You tell us that we need ears to hear. So Lord, would you give us ears to hear what it is that the Spirit is saying? Would you give us also hearts that are soft? Lord, would you give us wills that are surrendered? Minds that are focused and eyes that are fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Would you do that in Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. The title of my message for you tonight is More Than Enough. More than enough. Doesn't that feel good? It does because we live in a world where we are constantly being reminded of how deficient we are, how much we lack, how much we fall short. And it seems like everywhere you look, you're reminded of the fact that there's just not enough to go around. For instance, environmentalists like to sound the alarm in recent years over how we're using up the Earth's resources at a faster rate than we can replenish them. And they tell us there's not enough fossil fuels or food or energy or water to go around. And so we're depleting the finite amount of resources on this planet. You can add to that, you know, the woes of more recent months where we've been hearing about these supply chain issues, how they've been affecting our country's ability to provide access to all kinds of goods and services that we've just grown accustomed to knowing that they're going to be available. And lately, it seems like when you go to the grocery store, the things that you used to take for granted, i.e. baby food, are, are no longer there. So we're reminded again that there's not enough. As another example of this, you remember what happened just a few years ago when the pandemic was kicking off early 2020? And they locked us down, and everybody was making a mad dash to the grocery store. And what was the first item that you couldn't find? <laughs> Toilet paper. Remember that. We laugh about it now, but it wasn't that long ago. I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And of course, it's odd because COVID-19 doesn't affect your bowels at all. It affects your respiratory system. But I think, I don't know, anthropologists are going to look back on the COVID-19 pandemic 100 years from now and think that it had something to do with diarrhea. <laughs> but the fear was, we're going to run out of toilet paper. And so it became a self-fulfilling prophecy, and there wasn't enough toilet paper. Now, this fear of not having enough, I think it affects us in, in more ways than that. It affects us on, on a personal level as well. We wake up in the morning, and we feel like, I didn't get enough sleep. <laughs> then we live our day, we go to bed at night, and we feel like, I didn't get enough done. Throughout the day, we feel like there's not enough hours in the day. There's not enough of us to go around. There's not enough money in the bank. In this life, like I said, there's no shortage of reminders that there's not enough of anything. I mean, the demands placed on us always seem to outpace our ability to keep up. And I think there's a pretty obvious reason for that. We're finite beings. 
We live in a finite universe with limited resources and capacity. I mean, we only have so much time, so much energy, so much strength, so much resources. We can't be in two places at once. We can't clone ourselves, at least not yet. It's no wonder we wear out and run dry. But God, oh, God's different, isn't he? Somebody say amen. God has infinite capacity. He has unlimited resources. His supply always exceeds whatever the demands are. He never gets depleted. He never gets exhausted. He says, I, the Lord, I neither slumber nor sleep. And so the trick for us as his kids is learning how to trust an infinite God with the big problems in our lives, to trust that he can make up the gap. You see, the story we're going to look at tonight, I think, wonderfully illustrates how God can take whatever situation you're facing that feels like there's not enough, and how he can step in and insert himself into that situation and prove to you that he is more than enough. But before he can do that, we've got to learn how to trust him. And that's what today's story, and really, <laughs> all of life, that's what all of life is all about. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into our text, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. So sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover or festival was near. All right, so here we get the context or the setting for this great miracle that's about to unfold. And what we learn is that Jesus' ministry is in full swing at this point. In today's terms, we would say that Jesus' fame had reached a fevered pitch. He had achieved rock star status. Everywhere he went, crowds followed. I mean, a few verses from now, John tells us that what he describes here as a great crowd, a few verses later, we'll learn that it consisted of 5,000 men. But they only numbered the men. They didn't number the women and the children. And so if you add them in as they were very obviously present that day as well, the number easily swells to 15 or 20,000 people who were following Jesus. Now, many of these people would have been pilgrims who were making their way from wherever they lived through the Galilee region on their way up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover, as John tells us. So in verse 5, it says, When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? Now he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. All right, so here we have the problem. Jesus wants to feed the hungry crowd. Now, I don't know if you have any experience catering or trying to prepare food for a large group or crowd of people, but if you do, you know it's no easy task, right? I mean, sometimes we'll put on events here, like our Feast of Trumpets event, where we're feeding thousands of people, and I can just tell you that it is it is a big undertaking that usually requires a team of people uh, with a multi-pronged attack. There are months of planning and preparation that are involved. And I, I share all that to make the following point. I can sympathize here with poor Philip, 
When Jesus kind of takes this huge problem, 20,000 people, we need to feed him, and he throws the problem right in Philip's lap, right on the spot. They didn't even have Costco, (laughs) right? But even if there had been one, it's not like they had the money to pay for the food. The point being, this is a big, big problem. Have you ever faced a problem that was bigger than your ability to handle it? Have you ever been overwhelmed by the problems in your life? That's what Philip was feeling in this particular moment. But notice how it says that Jesus already knew what he wanted to do. Even before he posed the question to Philip, even before he presented him with the problem, Jesus already had a plan. He had the whole thing figured out. Well, if that's true, then why does he bring the problem to Philip in the first place? Why, why go through the trouble? And here's why. John tells us. It says he, he said this to test Philip. Remember what it was like when you were in school and you were growing up and, and your teacher from time to time would say, OK, class, put away your books and your notebooks. It's time for a pop quiz. No, every student's worst fear. Well, that's essentially what Jesus was doing with Philip here. He was giving him a a pop quiz. And Philip had been walking with the Lord now for some time. He'd experienced miracles just like everyone else. He'd been there for the multiplication of of, of the the water into wine. And he'd seen blind eyes opened and seen the the sick healed. And, And so throughout this process, Jesus is teaching his disciples that he is someone who is trustworthy. And so he wants to see how much his disciples had learned. And what he was waiting for Philip to do was to hand the problem back to him. You see, whenever God hands you a problem, it's not really your problem. This is good news. You see, if God hands you a problem, he's just waiting for you to bring the problem back to him. He wanted the disciples to learn to take whatever problems they had and give them back to him. You see, Jesus wasn't setting Philip up for failure. He was setting him up for a miracle. So that's why he handed him this impossible situation and asked him what to do. See, as as God's kids, I think sometimes it's easy to forget that every miracle that God has ever done, it started with an impossible problem. And I bring that up because I think all of us in here would agree that, yeah, we want to experience miracles. I want to see the miraculous. If I asked for a show of hands, we'd have both hands up. Yes, I want to experience miracles. The problem is, the rub is that in order to experience a miracle, you have to be in a situation that necessitates one, i.e., you have to be faced with an impossible situation. And nobody wants that. But you can't have one without the other. So let this be an encouragement to all of you in here who are facing some impossibility in your life. And you could just fill in the blank on what that is. You are today perfectly positioned, as it turns out, to experience a miracle. God hasn't set you up for failure. He hasn't brought you this far just so that you could fall on your face. No, he's setting you up for a miracle. Nothing is impossible with God. He's the God of the impossible. And by the way, he already has the answer to the impossible problem that's in your lap right now. So he's just waiting for you to come to him so that he can provide the solution to the problem that he brought to your life in the first place. 
It's just a test. And he tests you to see where you're at, to reveal it to your own heart so that you can grow in your faith, that you can put your trust in him and so that he can show himself strong on your behalf. That's really how this whole thing works. And that's why he brought this test to Philip. Let's see how Philip responds to his test. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. I don't know. I just, I like to, to kind of imagine what these guys were like. And I imagine Philip to be a practical guy. He's probably rational, logical in his thinking. I think that kind of comes across in his answer. He was the guy with with insurance plans to back up his insurance plans. He had contingency plans for his contingency plans and escape routes that were backups to his escape plans, which is probably why Jesus posed the question to him first. He knew what he was going to get. So after looking around quickly and surveying the situation and doing some calculations in his head, Philip determines that even if they had, I don't know, enough money to pay everybody for half a year, we'd still only be able to give everyone just a bite. In other words, according to Philip, the resources at their disposal weren't sufficient to meet the needs of the people. Plain and simple as that. That's how Philip saw things. Well, he wasn't the only one who was listening that day. Another of his disciples, Andrew, verse 8, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? <laughs> so evidently, Andrew's eavesdropping on Jesus' conversation with Philip. He goes out and he grabs a kid. And he sees a kid with a Lunchable or a lunchbox. And he's like, hey, kid, come here. And he brings him over to Jesus. And he's like, I don't know, this is crazy. But I mean, here's a kid. He's got a couple of loaves and fish. But even as the words are tumbling out of his mouth, he realizes how crazy it sounds. And he, he evacuates on his own crazy plan. I mean, what good are a few loaves and bread and fish among such a great crowd? Let's give Andrew a slightly better grade than Philip. I mean, he's commendable in that he brought this kid to Jesus. And by the way, Andrew, I love Andrew. I named one of my sons Andrew. It's a name that means manly. But Andrew was a guy who, every time you find him in the Bible, he's always bringing people to Jesus. He came to faith under the ministry of John the Baptist. And the first thing he did after he met Jesus was go and find his big brother, Peter, and drag him and say, hey, you got to meet this guy named Jesus. And here we find him once again bringing this boy to Jesus. And I love that about him. However, in the end, he too ultimately failed the test. Here's the mistake that both Philip and Andrew made, is that in their assessment of available resources, they both failed to account for Jesus. Philip, he looked no further than his own pockets. Andrew, he looked no further than the resources of the crowd that surrounded them. But neither of these guys thought to consider Jesus as an option. They forgot that when you're in the presence of Jesus, you're never truly in a position of need. Listen, you don't need to go out and buy bread when you're standing right in front of the bread of life. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. It's silly. I mean, but they're like, I don't know how we're going to do it. I mean, Jesus is right there like, <clears throat> you know, there's this old story about a little boy who's trying desperately to move a heavy rock in his backyard. He's a little guy, and he's out there, and he's 
tries picking it up, but it's too big. And he tries rolling it out of the way, but it won't budge. And he's just trying everything that he can think of. And he's sweating profusely. And meanwhile, his father happens to walk by. And he sees this scene playing out. And he strolls over to his son. He says, hey, buddy, what you doing? And he says, I'm trying to move this rock, but it won't budge. And the dad says, well, if you want to move a rock that big, you've got to use all your strength. The kid looks up at his dad. And he says, I am using all my strength. And the father says, ah. But you're not. You see, you haven't asked me to help yet. You see, he wasn't using all the resources that were available to him. And so the dad walks over and easily picks up the rock with his son, and they toss it to the side. Mission accomplished. How often are we just like the little boy in that story? We're busy trying to do things in our own strength. We rely on our own resources. We pull on our own ingenuity. And meanwhile, Jesus is sitting there like that dad tapping his feet saying, hey, you've got other strength available to you if you'll just ask for it. It's ready and waiting and willing, which is what Jesus was saying to these guys. And so in verse 10, they both failed the test. And so Jesus interjects. He says, have the people sit down. Now, there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Then Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. I love that part of the verse. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, now gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Mm, I love this part of the story. This is where the miracle happens. And it's a familiar miracle. But let's hopefully approach it with a fresh set of eyes and an open heart. And let's begin by considering the power of thanksgiving. So Jesus organizes the crowd. They're getting unruly. They're getting hangry. You know how it is. When it gets to the end of the day, you haven't eaten all day, and your stomach starts barking at you, I'm hungry, feed me. That's what you've got 15, 20,000 people doing that. And Jesus says, "Okay, get everybody to sit down. Let's bring some structure and organization to this chaos, to this unruly mob. So they all sit down. And in having them sit, Jesus was also communicating to them, "Okay, I'm about to do something. I'm about to teach you something important. So pay attention. And once he had their attention, they were all looking at him. What does he do? He takes the loaves. He lifts them high in the air so everyone can see. And it says he gave thanks. This is so different than what the disciples' approach was, isn't it? You see, the disciples, they focused on what they didn't have. They focused on their own lack, the lack of provision, the lack of means, the lack of food. Jesus, by contrast, starts by giving thanks for the little bit that they have. Let me just tell you, there is great power in thanksgiving. One of Satan's most effective strategies is to get us to focus on what we don't have, what we wish we had, what other people have. Does that make sense? He's constantly getting us to think about, well, if I have what they have, then I could do what they're doing. But since I don't, and I can't, and I won't, 
And if he can get us to focus on those things, then he can basically render us ineffective. Jesus opened the door of possibility for a miracle to occur when he gave thanks. It's it's the hinge that opened the door of his heart and opened the gate of possibility. Now, this is a hallmark of Jesus' ministry. He was always giving thanks. In fact, check this out. Roughly half of the recorded prayers of Jesus in the Gospels include him giving thanks for food. Did you know that? Jesus was, A, always eating, praise God, amen. And number two, he was always giving thanks for those meals, which, by the way, is why we give thanks at our meals. It's it's an easy way to cultivate gratitude in our hearts. He gave thanks for these loaves and fishes. He gave thanks at the Last Supper when he broke bread. He gave thanks as he prepared breakfast for the disciples after his resurrection. In fact, anytime he touches food, he's giving thanks. And the application for our lives, I think, is somewhat obvious. No matter how dark, how bleak, or how bad things seem, there is always something that you can give thanks for. Maybe just start by thanking God for the basics, like life and breath, that he created you, that he made you, that he loves you. Then move on from there. Thank him for the cross. Thank him for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank him for the hope of heaven. And then just start thanking him for the people in your life and allow your gratitude to swell and to continue to flow from there. I found that a great primer for praise in my own life is the reading the Psalms. When I come to the Psalms, they just overflow. They abound with gratitude. And, and as you read them, you, you'll stumble upon Psalms like this one that says, and I'd love it if we could read this verse together out loud. This is Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. My eyes are getting bad. I'm trying to read that screen, and I'm squinting. Pray for me. But look at that. Give thanks to the Lord. And then I love the question, has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Somebody say, praise the Lord if he's redeemed you. Praise the Lord. Lord. We need to give thanks. Now, now it's not just that Jesus give thanks, okay? because that's important. Now I want you to notice with me when he gave thanks. He gave thanks in advance of the miracle. How much bread had been multiplied at this point? None. But he says, thank you in advance of the miracle. Now he would go on to say thank you after the fact as well. But he starts by giving thanks first. And that's always the way it works or at least the way it ought to work. You see, if you wait until after God provides, if you wait until after God brings the miracle, that's, that's no longer faith. That's gratitude, but it doesn't require any faith. When you say thank you in advance, that demonstrates faith, and that opens the door for God to do more. Faith gives thanks in advance. And that should change the way you pray. In fact, when I was praying with our team, we bathe every service in prayer, and we were praying prior to this service. And I just said, thank you in advance, Lord. Oh, you are going to move tonight. 
You are going to prove yourself to be more than capable, to give more than enough for whatever challenges and obstacles and problems these people are facing. You're mending hearts. You're healing lives. You're touching the lost. You're, you're reaching out, and you're ministering already, God. And I got excited. I was like, yeah, let's go. God is good. I was excited for the work that God was going to do before he did it. So here we are, fulfillment of prophecy. God's moving. I know it by faith. You see, the the bread didn't magically multiply in Jesus' hands while he prayed. It's not like he said, in Jesus, my name, amen, and then he's just buried under a mountain of bread. He says, amen, everyone opens their eyes, and nothing's happened. The two loaves are still in his hand. And so often when we pray for a miracle, we're facing an impossible situation, and we pray, and we see no change, and we think it didn't work. But it wasn't until Jesus continued to move forward in faith and he distributed. He gave away what was in his hands. And that's when the bread multiplied. You see, the bread multiplied in the hands of the disciples as they took what Jesus gave them. And they gave it to the people. And they kept coming back for more. And Jesus is like, here you go. And they went back out. And they came back. And there was more. And it was just this cycle. And they're tripping out. And they're like, James, John, are you guys seeing this? And they're like, I know. This is crazy. And they just keep handing out the bread. And then they come back. And he does the same thing with the fish. He's praying over two sardines and a couple of Ritz crackers. And it's just a feast. And they all ate until they were full. Everybody gets stuffed. And then Jesus has the disciples go and gather all the leftovers, and they filled up 12 baskets. A couple of thoughts as we close this evening. What do we learn from this story? I'll leave you with these three thoughts. Number one, bring your problems to Jesus. This is like Christianity 101, right? Bring your problems to Jesus. And yet, it's so difficult for us. Because it seems like every time we run into another problem, there we are, and we're assessing the situation, and we're staring at the impossibility, and we're looking at the odds, and we're looking at all the reasons that it can't work, and it doesn't add up, and it, it doesn't make sense. And, and then we're just like the re- disciples. We, we look to ourselves, and we rely on our own abilities or our own resources to get us out of the jam. And what this story does is it reminds us that God wants us to bring our problems to him. Why? Because he already has the answers. He's just sitting up there waiting. He, he has the fix to get you out of the fix that you found yourself in. So Psalm 55 verse 22 says it like this. Give your burdens to the Lord, and he will take care of you. Amen. That's the first thing. Bring your problems to Jesus. Second point, a tiny little bit in the hands of a great big God goes a long way. I love God's math. You know, there's this new math. You know, I stopped being able to help my kids with math a long time ago. And and they have these different ways of of reaching the same conclusion. But, you know, I I did, I think, pass second grade math. and, And so I know that five plus two should equal seven. I think I'm pretty solid on that. But God's math is different, right? I mean, God, he, he, he does new math. Because in God's economy, five loaves of bread plus two small fish equals a feast 
that can feed 15 to 20,000 people remainder 12, right? Because there were 12 baskets of leftovers for each one of those doubting disciples, one basket to take home to remind them that God is more than capable and he's more than enough. See, when we stop focusing on what we don't have or what we wish we had or what someone else has and instead take what little we have and place it in the hands of an almighty God, then we get to stand back and watch him work and watch him multiply what we give him. And that's really the heart of this story. And you already knew that, but you needed to be reminded of it because we all do. You you might say to me, but I don't have even like five loaves and two fishes. I've got nothing to give. That's okay. God can do a lot with nothing. He spoke the entire universe into existence out of nothing. So you just start with whatever you have, as little as it might be. I mean, just think of how little and how seemingly insignificant the boy in our story was in some respects. I mean, he doesn't get it. We don't get his name. We don't know who he is. We don't know what kind of lunchbox he had. He felt unimportant. He felt insignificant. But God used him anyways, and he'll do the same thing with you. He'll use whatever's in your hands. For him, it was some loaves of bread and some fish. For Moses, it was a staff. God says, what's in your hand? I'll use it. And God used that staff to part the Red Sea and to bring water out of a rock. He said to David, what's in your hand? He said, I've got a sling. God said, great, let's use that to take down a giant. He used the jawbone of a donkey in the hands of Samson to take out a 1,000 Philistines. Listen, you might only have a little talent or a little money or a little gift, but it's more than enough in his capable hands. Think about it like this. If you were to put a paintbrush in my hands and, and put a canvas up here, I'd do the best I could, but I am by no means an artist or a painter. But you take that same paintbrush and you put it in the hands of of an artist like a Michelangelo or a da Vinci, and he'll create a masterpiece, a work of art. You see, it's it's not the paintbrush. It's the artist. It's not the instrument. It's the musician. It's not what we have. It's whose hands we place it in. And you take what you have and you put it in the hands of the Lord and watch what he'll do in you and through you. You see, the disciples kept waiting for God to do something for them, but he was wanting to do something through them to be a blessing for others, which leads us to our final point this evening, which is this. God always gives back more than what you give him. That's just a principle that you can take to the bank. I mean, this, this, this little boy, he's a hero of mine. And when we get to heaven, I can't wait to meet him. He could have held on to his lunch, right? And if he would have done that, he would have still gotten to eat. But in holding on to what he had, he would have forfeited the opportunity to be a part of 15 or 20,000 miracles. And in the same way, you can hold on to whatever you have and not give it to Jesus. But in doing so, you'll miss out on the opportunity to be a part of someone else's miracles. 
So if you'll give your talent to God, he'll multiply your talent. If you give him your energy, he'll multiply your energy. If you give him your time, he'll multiply your time. If you give him your money, he'll multiply your money. If you give him your relationships, he'll multiply your relationships. The point is, whatever you give to God, he multiplies and gives it back. There's this great verse in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that I'd love for us to read together. It says this. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. If that verse doesn't perfectly illustrate what God was doing in this story, then I don't know what it does. God doesn't just give you some of what you need. No, he promises to take care of everything that you need, and not just in a measured dose. No, no, no. He promises to bless you lavishly. He abounds in grace and mercy. He wants to go above and beyond what you need so that he can generously provide, not just for you. He wants you to become a channel of blessing to others so that they get to walk away with leftovers of all the goodness that God is pouring into your life. So when you feel like you're not strong enough, God wants to tell you tonight, I am. When you feel like you're not capable enough, God's telling you, I am. When you feel like you're not smart enough, God would say to you tonight, I am. And you can fill in the blank, whatever you don't feel like you're blank enough, the word of the Lord to you tonight is, he is more than enough because he is the great I am. I love as we close that Jesus says in verse 12, gather, gather all the pieces that are left over. Don't let anything be wasted. You see, our God doesn't waste anything. And nothing ever given to Jesus is wasted. He collects all of it. And that just means your not enough is more than enough when you give it to God. Remember that. He longs to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask, think, dream, or imagine. So whatever impossible situation you're confronting this evening, just know that that's the truth. If it's a marriage that feels dead, God can resurrect it. If it's a prodigal son or daughter, he can bring them back. If it's a financial situation where your bills are greater than the, the, the resources or the means to meet those needs, God can provide. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. No matter what your struggle is, you bring that problem back to Jesus because he put it in your lap as a test for your faith so that he could prove his faithfulness to you. You put it in his lap. You watch him multiply what you give him. And then you stand back and applaud, giving thanks, not just in advance, but after the fact for all that God does. Because that's who he is. That's how he works. And that's what he wants to do in your life. That's not just, that's not just like a positive kind of speech, like, you know, go get him, tiger. No, no, no. This is gospel truth. The word of the Lord is living and powerful, and you Activate it in your life when you release it through your obedience. So you've got to step into it. You can't just hold it in your hands, but you've got to hide it in your heart and walk it out with your feet. And that's when the power of God gets released and the miracles of God flow and the fish and the loaves get multiplied. And that's when you're
your whole Christian experience goes from being ho-hum and, and just kind of mundane to real and vibrant and authentic and 3D and colorful, which is what God wants for you. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Thank you, Father, for this time and this, this gathering of your church, Lord. This is such a sweet, sweet time each and every weekend as we gather together, as we open the word, as we sit at your feet, as we eat at your table, Lord. You are so good and you are so faithful to meet us each and every time. And even when we're faithless, Lord, I love that you're still faithful because you can't deny yourself. I pray that faith would be released in this congregation this evening. I feel that. I feel an anointing to speak faith into your hearts tonight. God is building your faith. He's growing your faith. And now it's time for you to release that faith. You do that in prayer. You do that by responding in obedience to the word that Jesus is speaking over you tonight. And the devil is whispering in your ear, you're not blank enough. And God is telling you, I'm more than enough for you and in you and with you. And I'm walking beside you. He's stronger. He's bigger. He's greater. He's mightier than whatever thing is coming against you. So we stand in that confidence. We rejoice in advance of our victory that we're assured of based on the promises of God's word. And our hearts cry tonight is, Jesus, would you be enough for us? Would you prove yourself true? Would you prove your promises true? And we pray and ask all these things together in Jesus' name. And everybody who believed it said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.